This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. talk to you today about an idea that people change. People change. I want us to walk through the narrative in a moment, the last days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. But the question really for me is, first of all, you ever encountered somebody that maybe you've not seen in a long time or you knew at one point in time, maybe even they went through this major life decision and, and you walked away from that person thinking, wow, they've changed. You ever been there? Like I, I see people now that I knew at one point in time in life, some people uh, have cleaned their life up, they've got their self together. Some people have gone the opposite direction and I walk away thinking, man, that person is not who they once were. It's not who I knew them as. People change. Unfortunately, most people don't like change, and for many people, change doesn't happen intentionally, especially in the direction of bettering themselves. I've found over the years as I grow and learn that the reason none of us want to change to be better is because it's hard. You agree? It's hard. It's easy to change to be worse. It's easy to make bad decisions, right? It is not easy to make the good ones. I've been on this journey with Micah. If you've been following her on Facebook, she's on this health journey, and we're doing it together. And and when we first started, I literally had to break up with food. I did. And I had to, to detach emotionally from food. And now I can sit down with most anything except a bowl of cheese dip and can really not care that it's there, and you eat whatever you want to sitting in front of me, the things that I used to love really don't matter anymore because I literally had to break up with that attachment. But that was a hard decision. And I'm hard-headed enough that, thankfully, when I made the decision, which I've tried over the years but never truly made it, when I made the decision, as hard as that decision was, I'm hard-headed enough that I won't go back and change it now. But to make a decision like that is not easy, right? To make decisions to better ourselves are not easy. Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, hey, today I'm going to change five things about myself to make me better. Because we don't like to change. George Bernard Shaw said, Progress is impossible without change. And those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. Winston Churchill said, to improve is to change. To be perfect is to change often. Mark Batterson, who led one of the studies we went through not too long ago, said, you're always one decision away from a totally different life. And Albert Einstein said, 
The measure of intelligence is the ability to change. Could we agree that change must take place for progress? People must change. I want us to look at this today through the lens of Scripture and through specifically Luke's Gospel. I want to walk through uh, chapter 22 of Luke's Gospel, not verbatim, even really walking into some of 23. And I want us to look at several different people that change throughout this narrative. If you've got your communion elements, if you would, go ahead and, and grab those and get those open. I told you today's a little different. I want us to walk through this story together. And so we're literally going to put ourselves, if you will, in this four-dimensional story as we talk through this. As we begin this narrative of Luke chapter 22, even in verse 1, Luke writes, The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. The leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. We have to pause. Because this is a very important part of the scripture. It's a very important part of this whole idea. Do you realize that the leaders wanted to make an action? They wanted to, to take an action against Jesus. They wanted to make a difference. But because of their fear of the people, they would not do it. Keep it in your mind. And then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples. And he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted. They promised to give him money. So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. It's so symbolic. This has all taken place when the lamb has to be sacrificed and Jesus is preparing and, and what he's telling his disciples in just a moment later, he says, hey, go. He tells uh, Peter and John, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Get the things together that are needed for Passover. In other words, we have to have a slain lamb. He said, I am preparing myself to be slain. You go prepare our meal together. I say, but Jesus, where do you want us to go prepare it? And in verse 10, he replied, As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will, will meet you. Follow him at the house, or at the house he enters. Say to the owner, the teacher asks, Where the guest room, where's the guest room where I can eat Passover meal with my disciples? I'm sidetracked because the Lord just dropped it in my heart. The man holding the pitcher of water. Water is so symbolic. I've talked about it so many times that I can't help but wonder. Jesus is directing them to follow the man holding the pitcher of water. Water represents life. It's the living water. It's peace. It's Jesus. I see it almost as like the Father. Jesus says, hey, go follow the man with the water. He's going to lead you to the house where, oh, my Lord, where we're going to receive this Passover meal, where you're going to receive all that I am. Follow the water. He says, 
Ask the guy where the room's at. He'll take you upstairs to a large room that's already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. He went off to the city, found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. The meaning, remember, the Passover meal is where the lamb has to be slain. He said, I'm not going to do this again until it's all been fulfilled, till this whole Passover meal, till you've had 100% redemption. You've had 100% freedom from sin. When you are in the kingdom with me because of my blood that was shed at that point, then we'll share this meal again. He took the cup of wine and gave thanks for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, can you picture yourself for a moment? Did you take your wafer? I love nothing more than to recline around the table with some good people. Remember, I had to break up with food. So now it's the fellowship that I feed on. And if you can imagine yourself, maybe you close your eyes, I don't care how you want to do it. I need you to put yourself in this moment. You've made it to the room. You've made it to the place where there's only 12 of you and Jesus. And this is literally the final meal, the man that has changed everything in your life, the man that's given you all the freedom in the world, the man that's given you boldness, the man that's given you purpose, the man that's given you everything you needed to push forward. That man is now telling you, take this piece of bread and receive it as my body. You can receive me. You can have all of me and you can carry it with you. And he took the bread, he blessed it. He said, take it. Let's eat the bread. And after supper, he took another cup of wine. And he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed by my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And he took that cup and he passed it around. And we know that he blessed it. And he said, take this. And every time you take this drink, you remember me. The sacrifice, the blood that was poured out. Your redemption, your freedom. So today as you drink your cup of juice... Take a moment and let that sink in and process what that must have been like for them and what that is for you. You can take your juice.
And the story shifts. Because we're in this sweet moment, I believe that we've somewhat tried to get that here today. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus begins to talk. He says, but here at the table, sitting among us as a friend, one that has just received this meal, one that's just walked with us through this journey, one that is emotionally engaged in this moment, is the man who will betray me. For it's been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrayed him? And the disciples begin to ask each other which one of them would ever do such a thing, and they begin to argue. And then Jesus said in verse 25, In this world, the king of kings and great men, uh, the world of kings and great men lord over their people, yet they're called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. The leader should be like a servant. You talk about change. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. John tells us it was at this point that he got down on his hands and knees and literally and began to wash their feet. And then, if you jump with me to verse 31, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to, si to sift each of you like wheat. But I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. What a warning. Simon, Satan wants you, son. You got a target on your back. And I've pleaded and I've pleaded that your faith would strengthen you enough to be able to stand. And then he goes on and he basically says, unfortunately, it's not going to be enough. So when you repent, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you, even to die with you. And Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning... You will deny three times that you even know me. And he goes on, he tries to get them prepared, and he makes sure that they've got everything they need for the journey that's coming up. And then we find, if we pick back up in verse 39, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. And he told him, pray that you will not give in to temptation. And he walked about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. And this prayer is so profound. He said, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. And then the hardest words, if you've ever prayed them, it's the hardest thing you ever pray. Yet I want your will to be done not mine. Father, if there's any other way, 
if I can avoid the cross, if I don't have to do this, I sure enough don't want to do this. But it's not about me, Father. It's about you. And an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. He's bleeding literally as if he's got a gaping wound and he's bleeding out. He's sweating as if that blood's rolling down a gaping wound. That's the sweat. He's fervently pleading for God to give him another way. Last he stood up, he returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. He said, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you'll not give in to temptation. Luke says in verse 47, but even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, did you become to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? One of the other disciples saw what was about to happen. They exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought our swords. One of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. He touched the man's ear and he healed him. Jesus spoke to the leading priests captains of the temple guard and some of the elders who had come for him am i some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs arrest me why didn't you arrest me in the temple i was there every day this is so powerful i saw this this week for the first time but this is your moment in time when the power of darkness reigns can i just tell you satan's not going to come after you when you're up on the high mountain when you're in the temple, teaching, if you will, when, you're, when everything's okay in life, when you're having a fantastic day, when life is just peachy and roses and everything's just great, that's not the moment that Satan's going to choose to try to destroy you. But it's when the day hasn't really gone your way. It's when you've hit a low. It's when depression actually might be setting in just a little bit. It's when you really don't understand why things are the way they are. And there's this even little, little point of hopelessness that's there. That's when Satan's going to strike. That's the power of darkness. And so they take Jesus. They arrest him. And they take him to the high priest's home, and Peter follows at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the country yard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. And this is where things begin to take place for Peter. A servant girl noticed him sitting and said, Hey, this man was one of Jesus' followers. Peter denies it. And then a second time, somebody else says, hey, you, you've got to be one of them. And he says, no, I'm not. And then a third time, somebody said, this must be one of them. He's a Galilean too. And Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I can't imagine what that felt like. Micah can cut me some eyes when I do something that's not right. 
when I say something that's a little off. Doesn't have to be to her. My mama used to be able to cut me some eyes, and I knew I'd done wrong. When my daddy cut me eyes, I'd break down and cry. Can you imagine what Peter felt in that moment? Peter, Jesus, I'm willing to go to prison with you. I'm even willing to die with you. And in that moment, Jesus looked at him, and it had to have been disappointment on Jesus' face. There had to have been some, I told you so, but at the same time, there had to have been. He's prayed that, that Peter's faith would strengthen him to the point that Satan couldn't change him. Yet still, Peter fell in, in the power of darkness. The story goes on, and Jesus is there before the council. The elders, those leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, they were ready to be done with Jesus. They wanted him tried, so they sent him to Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor. He began to try Jesus. He began to try to put him through this trial. He questioned him, what's going on? He said, I find nothing wrong with this man. He said, I'm Selway, you're Galilee, and I'm going to send you to Herod. Herod is over Galilee. He's the one that can deal with you. Herod is excited when Jesus shows up. I've wanted to see what Jesus was all about. He's excited. I've wanted to meet Jesus. Verse 8 of, our, of chapter 23, Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him and been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. Oh God. There are so many people sitting on our pews of our churches today. They're delighted to see Jesus. And they're waiting to see Jesus perform a miracle. But they're not willing to do what it takes to experience Jesus. Herod wanted nothing to do with living this life that Jesus had. He just wanted to see. And there's so many people that just seeing is enough. What are we missing out on when we're excited, we're delighted just to see Jesus? We're missing on life abundantly. Because in order to receive that life and life abundantly, we have to experience Jesus. Herod doesn't really find anything wrong with him, but he says, hey, we'll have him beaten. He sends him back to Pilate. Pilate said, I... Verse 14, chapter 23, he announces verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I examined him thoroughly at this point in your presence and found him innocent. Here it came to the same conclusion, sent him back to us. Nothing this man does calls for death. He said, so I have him flogged and then I release him. And then a mighty roar rose from who? The crowd. And with one voice they shouted, kill him. Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem and, and the government and for murder. They literally chose the murderer over Jesus. They want the man on the street who is dangerous. Jesus has done nothing but help. He put the man's ear back on when violence came about in the, gar in, in the, the garden, the 
Mount of Olives. He put the man's ear back on, yet here's a man who's taken lives, and that's who we'd rather have. For a third time, in verse 22, Pilate said, Why? What crime has he committed? I found no reason to sentence him to death, so I'll have him flogged and I'll release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. There's three people here who we've watched go through this major transformation because people change. Remember when we first started this story, the leading priests, the religious leaders, the teachers, the people of authority would not act because they were afraid of the people. They would not act because they were afraid of the people. And now here we get to this place where the decision is made to kill Jesus, and it's those very people that the leaders were afraid of that have changed now, and they're yelling, crucify him. The very people that the leaders were afraid of, they would not make a decision. And I can't help, maybe you, you haven't yet, you, I can't help but connect all this and connect the dots. In, in the culture we live in, specifically in this nation, there was a point in time that we were one nation under God and leadership would not make decisions because they were afraid of the people. Now, the people are the ones crucifying Jesus through the decisions. We're the ones that won't stand up. The church is the, the ones that are silent. The ones that at one point in time, we were the ones they were afraid of. Now we're the ones they're stepping on to get where they need to go. People change. Judas. I just read to you where Jesus called him a friend. You, are, are you really coming, Judas, as a friend to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? As he sat around the table, he was one of the twelve. Scripture says Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve. He was one of Jesus' closest. Only twelve people were chosen to start this worldwide, huge, eternity-long revival. Judas was one of them. Jesus had to have trusted Judas. Jesus was all-knowing. He also knew Peter was going to deny him three times, yet he still was praying. Strong, God, Peter, have this strong faith. He was still praying, although he knew what was going to take place. He still knew Judas was going to have to be the one to betray him, although he still is one of the closest. He was a friend. Yet he's now changed specifically over what he could get for himself. He changed over what he could get for himself. You want Jesus? I can give you Jesus. You give me money, I'll give you Jesus. You let me advance, you give me what I want, 
I'm greedy. Greed is killing me. You give me more of what I need, I'll give you what you want. I will change. I will give up my character, my integrity for what it is that I want right now in this moment. People change. And then Peter, who was one of the right-hand disciples, several places in Scripture we see Jesus taking two disciples, believed to be Peter and John. He sent Peter and John to prepare the Passover meal. Peter is the one that Jesus has full intention. Luke just told us, Peter, Satan wants to sift you. I'm praying that you, your faith will be strong enough to stand. But when you repent, be strengthen your brothers. When you're, he knew he was going to fall. He knew he was going to fall. If not, why did he say repent? He knew he was going to fall. He was the one that Jesus had full intention of building the church on. He was the one that would preach the sermon that would spark this, this amazing revival. 3,000 people in that one day, in that one message would come to know Jesus. He would be the one that would have the boldness to speak up. He would be the one that Jesus would start all of this on. We are here because Jesus started it on Peter. Yet Peter, who is full of confidence, full of, full of that arrogance, if you will, that pride. Jesus, I'm willing to go to prison with you. I'm willing to die with you. In the moment when it mattered, he followed at a distance and because he was afraid of what everybody else thought around him because he was afraid of what what it might do to him what it might cause him he said no I don't even know that guy people change and there was one more Jesus is in the garden praying fervently Father, if there's any way around that cross, I really don't want to go. If there's any way around this, Lord, I really don't want to do it. We don't need the theological debate of God being never changing. He doesn't change with the shadow. God doesn't change. But Jesus did not want to die on the cross. Did he know he had to? Did, did, he, did the fact that he would never change from the Father's will being first? In that way, he was never changing. The Father's will was always going to come first. He did not want to die on the cross. Yet when he's hanging on the cross... In those final moments, he's struggling for his breath, the tendons are cracking. I can't help but think that at some point, his arms, if you put a hole in anything long enough, it, it's just got to stretch. You look at, you ladies might wear big earrings long enough, and those holes begin to, his hand, he's, he's hung there long enough. You don't even look like a human being. And the man that did not want to go to the cross in that moment said, Father, forgive the ones who put me here because they don't even know what they did. The criminal hanging on his side, he said, today you'll join me in paradise. 
people change. Jesus' desire for the will of the Father did not change. But his desire to go to the cross had to have changed. He did not want to go to the cross. That was the mentality. That was the attitude. Yet while he's there, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they've done. The fact is, people change. You, family, are ever-changing. Like it or not, you change. Our bodies are getting older. Doesn't matter whether we're two days old or whether you're 102 years old. Your body's getting older. Constantly walking through changes. Your attitudes, my, my, my personality, my wisdom, the, my taste buds. I like asparagus. Who in the world would have ever dreamed that I'd rather have a bowl of broccoli than green beans? People change. There's no way around it. You will change in the next month. We don't even have to stretch out a year or five years. Within the next 30 days, you will change because people change. The question for me has to be, are we willing to be the change that Jesus was? Or are we going to be the change of the crowd where, where we once upon a time were bold enough in our faith? We once upon a time were full enough of the Holy Spirit that we allowed the Spirit to direct every decision in every part of our life. We were full enough then. Are we willing to be that person again? Or are we going to be the people who they were, the people that, that now are the ones cru yelling, crucify Jesus? Are we going to be a Judas who, who wants to be in the circle? We want to be close. We want to be right there with you. We want to be one of the 12, but at the same time, we're going to keep a little bit of a distance. And it's more about what we can get. It's more about what we want. It's more about our gain and our advantage. And until we get to that place, we're going to change one way or the other. Are we willing to sacrifice or are we looking for the handout? Judas wants more, so he changes. And then you've got Peter, believing wholeheartedly. I believe in that moment. I believe Peter was at a place in his life, he was a place in the spiritual walk with Jesus. I believe he was at a place in that relationship where when he said, I'll go to prison with you and I'll die with you, I believe he wholeheartedly meant it 100%. Just like we mean it 100%, that we're willing to do whatever God calls us to do. We're willing to do whatever he says to do. We're willing to wait ever how long he says wait. We're willing to, to go with just the little bit that we have. Well, I believe we believe that with our whole heart. When we say that, we truly believe that. But when Jesus is walking away in handcuffs and we're stuck on the outside of the courtyard and he's out of our sight for a little while, will we change? Or are we going to be like Jesus? Ever-changing. Jesus, when he started his ministry, I don't believe that he was really ready to begin his ministry when they're at the wedding. When his mama said, hey, do whatever this man tells you and you'll have enough wine. I really don't believe in that moment he was ready to begin his ministry yet. But I believe because somebody needed him, he changed. He's on the direction. He's going to heal the, uh, Jairus' daughter. And in that moment, he's on, he's on a mission. He's got a goal. 
He's going to heal her. And in that moment, when somebody touches him, things begin to change. Jesus changed. We are going to change. The question is, are we going to change intentionally for the better? Or are we going to let life toss us and throw us to the wind so that we change wherever it may fall? The measure of intelligence is the ability to change. I read that quote, I thought, my Lord, if the Word of God is knowledge to us and we can be full of wisdom, and the idea for the measure of that wisdom, I mean, Albert Einstein didn't have a clue what he was really saying when he said it, but isn't it that if, if I'm following the way of that Word, that the measure of my knowledge of that Word can be my ability to change for the better? The ignorance of that word means I'm going to change without ever knowing it. Because you're going to change one way or another. Whether you're intentionally changing for better or whether you're letting yourself slip and changing for the worse. People change. Father, I love you. God, I thank you. Lord, that your will was for my redemption. God, that it was your desire, it was your goal, it, it was what you wanted, Father, for humanity to be able to be redeemed back to a relationship with you. Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus, who was willing to be submissive to that will, who was willing to set his own personal feelings and emotions and desires to the side so that he could save humanity. Father, I thank you that we can look at Peter's life and although he made the decision, although he changed in that moment when things got tough, when things got hard, all, although he did change, Father, we can look and see how the strength, uh, the prayers for strength and faith uh, that Jesus prayed over Peter made the difference, and, and he was able to be redeemed back, Father, to be the founding foundation of the church. As part of the church today, Lord, I thank you for Peter. I thank you that we have that foundation of your word to stand on today. Father, I believe it's clear today that everybody in this room is going to change one way or another. Father, probably when we walk out the door today, there's going to be change in our life. The question is, is it intentional for the better or are we ignoring it and letting it slip for the worst? God, don't let us be the crowd that the leaders were afraid of in one moment. And then just a few hours, a day or so later, they're the ones yelling crucified. Don't let us be that way, Lord. Father, I thank you for your word and your people today. Father,
You've seen our hearts today. You know what it is that's driving us. Father, I know that Satan moves to steal, kill, and destroy everything that you want us to be through the power of darkness in the dark moments of our life is when Satan attacks. I rebuke that, Lord. Father, I pray for boldness today for your people to be committed to change. Father, that when we wake up each day, maybe we don't say, what can I change about me today to make me better? But maybe it is, Lord, that we're willing to say, not my will, but your, be, your will be done in my life today. Make me better today, Lord. That people are going to change. Father, we want to change for you. In Jesus' name, amen.